Well, uh, tonight we're going to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is the God of miracles. Um, like many people, I was brought up uh, in a what I call a dead religion, a church that um, nothing ever happened and nothing was ever expected to happen. Um, and like a lot of uh, children, I went to Sunday school and learned about stories of the Old Testament and some of the New Testament where God did things thousands of years ago. But never ever was I told that God would do a miracle in my life. Even though um, I dare say if you say that you say your prayers, um, I can't see much point in saying prayers if you don't expect an answer. But that was never really ever, again, really emphasised. You were told to pray, but I can't remember anybody ever saying to me, by the way, what you pray for, you can expect God to do it. And um, so when I first heard what I call the full gospel, uh, the first scripture that was shown to me was the last chapter of the book of Mark, the last few verses of that chapter, and it was all about miracles. And that was the first thing that caught my attention. Just recently I read a really diabolical article on Mark chapter 16. The idea behind the, the, the article was that the Mark 16 was just a parable. And um, the thought being that none of those uh, wonderful signs following could be taken literally. And I for one just could never accept that because Mark 16 was uh, so literal for me. For those who don't know what it says, Jesus said that certain miraculous signs would follow them that believe. They would have power over Satan, they'd be able to speak in tongues, they'd have divine protection, and that God also would promise to heal the sick. And uh, when I first uh, read that scripture, I actually had a, quite a sensation of the power of God going through me, which I'd never ever had before in my life. And uh, later on, and uh, right through till now, Mark 16 has been a really favourite scripture of mine because it talks about a God of miracles and it particularly talks about a God, God of miracles in our day and generation. So my thoughts tonight are a little bit with anybody that is new here tonight, maybe come along for the first time or come along just recently and um, maybe like myself, have come out of some nominal church. I was actually Anglican originally but um, there are many people here tonight that have come from all different churches, the big ones like the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, Uniting Church, all those Orthodox churches, some of the uh, other European ones like the Greek Orthodox and so on also, and uh, right through to even some of the more modern ones such as the Baptists and the Church of Christ and Brethren and these sort of people. And uh, all of us have uh, been excited about finding out about a God who does miracles. Now maybe tonight, just to start off with, I thought I might sort of try to uh, point out how very much God wants to be involved in our life. And I think we'll start off right at the um, end of the Bible, which is in, Ma in Revelation chapter uh, 21. Revelation chapter 21, towards the end of the Bible, it's talking about when the Lord comes back, even after the millennium, and what we eventually call heaven being set up. And it says in Revelation 21 verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, the man who wrote this book, the Apostle John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And uh, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And the main reason I've read this to start off with, even though it's not, in a sense, describing miracles, it, it maybe paints a picture of a God who wants to be involved with his people. And his ultimate goal is that he will be one-on-one with every one of us. And that's a little hard for us to understand at the moment. Jesus Christ is a little easier to understand because he appeared on this earth in a, in a human form and uh, we can sort of more relate to him. But there is no such thing as any... Um, sort of uh, painting or drawing other than purely in the imagination of people. There's no, no thought of what God really is or what he looks like, if he, if he looks like anything. We don't know. It's sort of beyond our, our natural uh, limitations. But there's no doubt that, of course, God is behind this whole plan. And his plan is one day to give us this utopia. And uh, it's interesting the things that he talks about there when he says there in verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And what's happening, I dare say, for many of us, is that we've had a taste of glory by coming to the Lord. It's not perfect. Our bodies, unfortunately, uh, are not, um, as it were, immortal. And uh, they still age and they still sort of pack it in the difference is that we have blessings from God to sort of keep the old body going. Um, I mean, God can't be blamed for everything. I mean, most of us look like we are because of what we do and what we eat in particular. And uh, God, it's not God's fault that we decide to uh, overindulge and that sort of thing. I'm not talking for everybody. I'm mainly talking for myself. But um, And uh, there are other things, of course, we have no control over whatsoever. The ageing process, we get old. And, um, and even though God says that he'll heal us and bless us, he hasn't promised at this point to take away the ageing process. He hasn't talked about taking away the shortness of our life on earth. And it is incredibly short. 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. It's a very short period of time, really. And um, so none of that's altered. So there are still a lot of limitations. And he says that we'll go through trials and tribulation. But his ultimate goal in verse 4, is that he will take away all the problems that we have. It says there'll be no more dying, which of course means there'll be no ageing or anything like that. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There won't be good days and bad days. There'll all be good days and so on. But that's the ultimate goal of God. And uh, the point, as I said, I want you to get out of this is that that's the God you're dealing with. That's what he wants for us. He wants the very best. And right here and now, it's sort of a, a patch-up sort of time to just keep us going and uh, to uh, get us in to a point of uh, mainly being able to talk to others and witness to them. But uh, sometimes in our life we don't always get what we'd like. 
Maybe it's our faith. Who knows what it is? But that's irrelevant. It doesn't alter anything. God does miracles, and all the people said. We know even in our own life that sometimes we pray for something and we don't get it. Another time we pray for it and we do get it. And sometimes the thing we pray for and we don't get, somebody else gets, and vice versa. But the end result is God does miracles. We can't always work that out, as I said. That's irrelevant. You don't alter the, the fact of God doing miracles because on some occasion somebody prays for something and at that point it appears as though they don't get an answer. God does miracles and uh, it's great to live a life believing in a God of miracles. Just in the Gospel of John chapter 9, just in verse 1, the story to do with the blind man. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I want to talk about Jesus and why he came to this earth. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures I could talk, turn to to do with this fact. This is just one of them. This is one where it really brings it home to us why Jesus came to this earth. It's one of my favourite scriptures because it's just such a, a typical human little story where the Lord overrode the normal way and the normal thinking of mankind. There was this man that was born blind and the disciples wanted to get into a, a debate of why he was blind. Why is this guy blind? Did he do something wrong and it's a curse on him? Maybe his parents did something wrong. And so the argument sort of would have gone on. What's your opinion? Why do you think? Jesus was not interested in that at all. He wasn't going to get into the debate. By the way, he would have known the answer perfectly. He would have had a perfect answer to their question on why this man was blind. But he, didn't, he, he said, I didn't come here to talk about that. What I came here for was to heal people and to set them free. So not only is it the will of God to give us life and that more abundantly, he sent his son to do that, that also. So he said in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh where, uh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and he came seeing. There's such a lot in this little story. So as I said, Jesus was not interested in the debate of why he was blind. What he was interested in is that he could heal him. And I think that's very important when you're coming to the Lord that God still is not interested in why things go wrong. What he is interested in is that he can heal us. The reason I say that is sometimes you've got a problem and maybe you want to get to something from the Lord and it's sort of worrying you Maybe uh, you've done something wrong. Maybe it's an accident. And if you'd been sensible, you wouldn't have had the accident. Who knows? But God is not interested in any of that. He knows that we make mistakes. He knows that we're not perfect. And on this particular passage, you see 
that what he's interested in is majoring on the healing parts. He came to this earth to do that. And he's really saying here he won't be sidetracked to one way or the other from that. He's not interested in the debate. He's interested in the action. And then, uh, of course, uh, an unusual thing. He got a bit of dirt. He spat in the bit of dirt. He, he mixed it up into clay. And then he pushed it into this guy's eyes. When in a natural sense, he couldn't have done anything worse. Here's mud in your eyes sort of thing. Here was um, something that certainly wouldn't help you see. But we know that it was the hand of the Creator and all the people said. This was the hand of the one who thousands of years before had formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his, breathed into his no, nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. The same person, the hand of the Creator and he created uh, this man's eyes. He went down, he washed in the pool and immediately he could see. Uh, just in First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, just recently I was um, working and uh, I ran into some people who were Seventh-day Adventists. A lady and a, a husband were there and another lady came in later. The two ladies were pretty full-on Seventh-day Adventists. But the guy, even though he's brought up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, his father was a Seventh-day Adventist minister, he had at some stage, maybe long ago for all I, could, all I know, had fallen away from their belief. And um, we got talking because the two ladies wanted to really debate on, uh, you know, whether you should keep the Sabbath day or whether you shouldn't and things like that. But this guy, he just said all of a sudden, he, keep, he said, you keep talking about miracles. He said, I just, I don't believe in miracles. He said, I've never seen a miracle. And um, I said, well, that's why you've never seen a miracle, because of what you just said. You've never believed, and therefore you don't see. And that's something that a lot of people just don't really want to accept, that you've got to believe first. We say, show me a miracle and then I'll believe. God says, you believe and then I'll show you a miracle. Anyhow, we chatted on for a while and we were talking about receiving the Holy Spirit and the ladies again were sort of debating backwards and forwards and the technical side of it. And all of a sudden this guy interrupted again. He said, well, go on, speak in tongues. Well, I opened my mouth not to actually speak in tongues, but just to give him an answer. But one of these ladies, she shot out the door. She thought I was going to actually speak in tongues. She didn't want to see it. She didn't want to be in the same room. Here she is, a Bible believer. Here she is uh, with heaps of religion, religion up to her eyeballs. And she thought that I was going to speak in tongues in front of them. And it is amazing in many religions today that they're terrified almost of miracles. You know, there's a group, many people have heard of them, called the Christadelphians. They seem to spend most of their time telling you what God won't do. So they all they always got books out. Why God, no longer are there any spiritual gifts. No longer can you receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. God does no, doesn't uh, heal the sick and so on. Their whole religion is about what God doesn't do. I'd rather be part of a, of a, not that I want to be part of a religion, but I want to be part of Christianity that constantly talks about what God can do. Because God can do anything, and all the people said. Our God has no limit. We put the limits on God. Our faith, or lack thereof, is what puts a limit on God. Nothing else. God can do anything. 
So as I said, it was rather interesting, this man just posing the question. I thought about it after. Joy's uh, pretty, um, uh, I thought it was a little bit taken off guard at the time. I didn't think of quite what I should have said, particularly when this lady shot out the door, um, sort of up, uh, not upset me, but sort of put me off guard a bit. But I thought afterwards what I should have said to him was, well, if you pray with me and you seek for the Holy Spirit, then I'll pray with you. Why didn't I think of that at the time? But um, so as I said, um, God is in the business of miracles. It's just people don't get around to believing that he can do them. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now this is talking about what we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it, I think it is a passage in the Bible again that a lot of what I'm doing here tonight is trying to paint a picture of how it is with God and what God thinks about miracles. It says here in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Now that little verse, verse 2, is not in there just by chance. He didn't just talk about idols. He put a word in front of idols. He called them dumb idols. And he had a good reason to call them dumb idols. Because what he was about to talk about was a God who does miracles and a God who speaks and a God of action. He said, before you came to the Lord, you had a God that did nothing. He never said anything. You never heard anything from him. You never expected anything from him. I want to talk to you about a God who does something. Now, really, even though I was sort of on uh, sort of the, the borders of Christianity in the church that I was brought up in, it was no different to the dumb idols because my church didn't believe and didn't preach in a God who did miracles. So I never heard about that. Sure, a God who did miracles 2,000 years ago. Sure about a God that was going to do wonderful things in heaven but never a God who would do something for me right here and now. Might as well be as, as the pagan gods. The story in the Old Testament of Elijah on the Mount Carmel, one of the great stories of the Old Testament. The, uh, the false prophets of Baal sets up the altar, for those who know the story, just briefly there, sets up the altar, for those who don't know the story, should I say, sets up the altar there on this mountain and he challenges the false gods. He said, we'll have a couple of altars and um, put a carcass on there and put some wood underneath it. And he said, I'll get you to call on your gods and I'll call on my God and the God who answers by fire, let him be the God. It was a real challenge. And uh, it says that the uh, pagan people jumped around and cut themselves and yelled and shouted from dawn till dusk and nothing ever happened because they were serving a dumb God, a dead God, a non-existent God. And then Elijah said, right, before I call on my God to perform this miracle, we'll sort of even go against nature itself. He said, go and get some water and pour it over the sacrifice and keep pouring it over the sacrifice until you saturate it and the wood and even all the ground round about. Totally saturate it. When you're lighting a fire, that's not a very good thing to do. Not a sensible thing to do. But he wanted to prove beyond any doubt. And then it says that the fire of God came down, it consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wood, consumed all the water, and it went up. 
And uh, all the people saw it and said, yes, the God that answers by fire, he is the God. And that's what we're talking about here tonight. We don't want you to believe in a dumb God, a dead God, a God that doesn't do anything. We want you to think about miracles every part of your life. And a lot of them are just little miracles, just daily things where you've got a little bit of a problem, something's irritating you, you might have a sickness, you might need a job, you're looking for the Lord to just be with you day by day. The Lord is there and you can believe that he'll meet your needs. And most of us here tonight have that God. He's very close to us. He's very personal. He's already done lots of great things for us, not meaning that we don't have times of doubt, even in the midst of all that we do. But uh, many times we overcome our doubt. We read the scriptures. We're encouraged from the word of God. And really year by year we forget them. I've been in the Lord for 37 years. It's a terrible thing to say, but I must probably forget hundreds and hundreds of miracles that the Lord's done in my life. I forget them. I I remember the big ones. I forget the little ones. I suppose that's a fact of life too. But I know that God does miracles. And any time that he doesn't, it's not his fault. It's just that I haven't got quite around to staring myself up and up or believing or whatever the case might be. I never come to the thought, oh, God doesn't do miracles. Yes, he does them all right. What I've got to do is I've got to plug in and get through to him. Then he says in verse 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. We could digress for a minute here and just talk about the importance of the Holy Ghost. And it really says it here in clear language that you must be involved in the Holy Ghost if you're going to be involved in God's kingdom. And it's not really until you're filled with the Holy Ghost that you can call Jesus your Lord and Master. And any time that you are speaking by the Holy Ghost, you will be praising the Lord, not cursing him. And then in verse 4 it says, Now there are diversities or different types of gifts, but it all comes from the one and self-same Spirit, is what it's saying here. There are differences of administrations. In other words, uh, within the church, various ministries from evangelists, apostles, teachers, pastors, so on. It says, but it all comes from the same Lord. And then it says, there are differences of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And then it says in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And this word manifestation really is again indicating to us that our God is not a dead God or a dumb God or a silent God. He wants to manifest himself to us. And if it's not like that, you're not on the right terms with God. He wants us to be in contact. He wants us to experience things. I mean, the baptism of the Holy Spirit for many of us is the first experience. We come to a meeting, we get baptized, we go into a prayer meeting or wherever the case might be, and God fills us with the Holy Spirit. It can happen at home. It can happen driving the motor car. One of our ladies in our assembly received the Holy Spirit on the back of a motorbike inside a crash helmet. A little world of her own. A husband sitting right in front of her never ever accepted the Lord. But she received the Holy Spirit right there on the back of the motorbike. I tell you what, if you ride a motorbike, it's a good idea to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So it can happen anywhere. And then there's other things that happen in our life. You know, for most of us, I know we're called fanatics. I don't care if we're called fanatics. 
I'm a happy fanatic. I really am. I'm a happy fanatic. Yes, I do bring the Lord into pretty well any part of my life. If it's uh, buying a house or getting a job or whatever it is, I want the Lord in it. I don't want to do it on my own. I want his hand revealed. You know, I think of lots of times when I went to New Zealand 13 and a half years ago. Um, I built a, a little house out in the Wops, um, out near Strathalbert, a little place called Woodchester. Dreadful place, actually. A little town there, and we bought a land, and we sort of did a bit of a development. I built a little house on it, just sort of a side interest, I suppose. I had an office job at the time, and it was my little retreat. I'd get out there and bang a few nails and things like that. And, you know, off and on over the years, I tried to sell this little hall, and I could never, uh, this little house, and I couldn't, I couldn't sell it. And finally, um, I didn't know this at the time when I sold it. Sold it to some people, and uh, they wanted 10 months before settlement. They wanted to live in it for a while and then save up some deposits and then there was some sort of housing trust scheme that they could get on and so on and so forth. It was a long sort of, sort of thing you don't really want. But I was fairly desperate, so I grabbed it. Nobody else wanted it. I sold this little house and thought, oh, I've got it 10 months away before we, we get our money. And then um, about four months after that, we decided to go to New Zealand. And um, again, we tried to sell our house here in Goodwood in Adelaide. We just couldn't seem to sell it. We had a couple of times tried before and we couldn't sell it. It was the same. Gave it to what I thought was one of the best uh, salesmen in town. I was in the real estate business at the time, not actually selling, but I knew a few guys. Gave it to him. Couldn't sell it. And uh, the sole agency on this ran out three days before we left for New Zealand. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it one more fling. And I advertised in the paper. All the time you're praying about it, I think I might have to let it. I suppose I was looking for the Lord's hand a little bit in what I was doing. And um, anyhow, put it out in on the Wednesday. I think we left on a Friday or a Saturday. I think it was a Friday. I can't remember now. I think it was a Friday. I put it out in on the Wednesday. That, the sole agency ran it on the Tuesday and just private sale. I think I said X amount of money or best offer above it or something. And nobody, nobody rang up that day. It was sort of normal. Nobody ever did. And the next day... We were right into it. And we had stuff everywhere and furniture was going out and packing cases and all this sort of thing. And I had this binder thing that I'd, I'd hired to sort of bind up some of our, our boxes and all that. And there was a place like an uproar. You know, every other time we'd had the place looking immaculate. We had all these wonderful open days and everything, the flower and the music going in the background and everything perfect you could imagine to try and get somebody to buy our flat. And uh, on this occasion it was a disaster. And this guy came in and he said, rang up, I don't think I even talked to him. Helen talked to him on the phone. Helen said, somebody's coming around to have a look at the house. And really, I, I didn't really take much notice. Oh, wow, look at this. It's going to be hopeless. This guy came around, he stepped past me and inside. And I said, oh, well, go, you go and have a look at it. Great salesman. You go and have a look at it. So he went off there. It didn't even take him through the house. He walked outside and he said, I want to buy it. And uh, I had to get him to say it again. You want to buy it. And uh, he said, oh, I'll give you the money. And of course, being very cheeky, I said, well, what are you giving me? And I think I said back in those days, it was 76000 that's right. I said, best offer above 76000 He said, I'll give you the money. I said, what money? He said, oh, 76000 I said, no, I said, best offer above. Oh, it's crazy, wasn't it, when you think about it? So he said, what about 77000 I said, done. <laughs> and of course, you have this dreadful thing in South Australia called a cooling off period. And um, anyhow, I... Uh, 
we signed it up and I said, the cooling off period, because it was a weekend in between, so the cooling off period goes right through till Monday midnight, I think it was, or Tuesday midnight. I said, I'll be in, in Christchurch for about three days by then. I said, if you cool off, I'm done. He said, I won't cool off. And he didn't. And uh, about two weeks after we got there, we went and signed up in a house and uh, it wasn't <laughs> rushed in. I've been in real estate for years. I did, did the wrong thing, rushed in and bought something I didn't know. Didn't know anything about Christchurch. Bought this house and the guy said, oh, it's got a little bit of road widening on the front. And I said, oh, yes. I went and inquired at the council. It was nine metres. <laughs> nearly 30 feet, and the fence would have been that far away from the front of the house. I was going to have a great bridge go right across the front of it. <laughs> I decided to pull out of the contract. So I got my fingers burnt a little bit, and I said to Helen, oh, I don't know if I, we're quite ready to buy anything. Let's just go and rent for a while. And just a week later, one of the people that was there with us said, oh, this little hall, uh, come up. And uh, we went down and we bought, it was a pretty scunchy little hall, but at the time, I was more interested in trying to get the assembly going. And um, we signed this uh, contract on the little hall. And the settlement on that other house, 10 months later, came through the week later. And we bought the little hall with it. All I'm saying all this for is I believe in our life that God organizes our path. The only thing that really bugs me, the only thing that really bugs me is that he always leaves it to the last minute. It's the last minute he always does it. Why can't he do it when I want it done? It's the last split second. But at least he always does it. <clears throat> so then it goes through in verse 8 to verse 10, all the wonderful gifts. The one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge by the Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another descending of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all of these work of that one and self-same Spirit, dividing to every man, severally or individually, as he will. So that, in another, it's just a passage in the Bible that talks about signs and wonders and miracles. The manifestation of the Spirit, it says in verse 7, is given to every man. You don't have to feel left out here tonight. God will do miracles in your life. I just mentioned a couple of sort of materialistic ones. But they mean a lot to you as an individual. And why not? You're looking for the Lord to meet your needs. Sometimes people come to the Lord and they say, I don't really want anything like that. I don't need anything. All I want is peace of mind. I cannot find peace of mind. And it appears, as for many of us, it's uh, such a long way away not to have peace of mind. But for some people to come to the Lord, to just have peace of mind, to know where, they're, where they've come from, why they're here, where they're going, to know that the Lord is in their life. They don't care about any of the other things. They've got peace of mind. As the Bible says, they can rest in the Lord. And I'm not talking about dying. I'm talking about right here and now, resting in the Lord. And uh, that means such a... That's a miracle. But as many other miracles as well that God will do. Just in Hebrews chapter 2, this is a, a reminder to the people that are in the Lord to beware lest we lose the wonderful things that we've got. You know, now and again people do leave us. People go back into the world or wherever they go and it's no great satisfaction to be able to look back and say, well, I told you so. Because all these people are very near and dear to us. But it is sad to see people 
who once had the glory of the Lord in their life, God of signs and wonders of miracles, they deceive themselves to think that they're still okay, but bit by bit they slip back into the world. Start the old smoking again. A little bit of drinking. And so it goes on. It's the thin edge of the wedge. Might still be going to church. Might still be talking about God, but they don't realise it. But they're slowly dying. They talk often, oh, I've got all this freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom to go back into the world? I mean, the greatest name I dare say that's ever been given to the devil is the great deceiver. He deceives us into thinking we're okay. As one person once said, he gives you a rocking chair ride to hell. You feel comfortable. Everything's going wonderful. I always uh, like uh, that little story about uh, Douglas Bader, the um, famous Second World War pilot who um, just prior to the Second World War, uh, he had uh, an accident back in the 1930s. He was a young pilot and... Um, they, like any young pilot, they like to show off and he was trying to do a double loop in the aeroplane he was in, do a loop and do another loop. Unfortunately, on the second loop, he hit the ground and uh, in, the, in the crash, uh, he lost his legs. Most people have heard of Douglas Bader and um, he lost uh, both his legs and he was lying in the hospital and um, while he was lying there, uh, everything was peaceful, was... Um, he wasn't in any pain. He felt like he was just drifting away. He heard these two nurses uh, walking down the corridor just outside his room, chatting away at the top of their voice. And the matron came along and said, Shh, be quiet, girls. There's a man in that room dying. And he suddenly realised it was him. And then he decided he would fight for his life. And uh, unfortunately, the moment he started fighting for his life, all the pain came. And... Uh, but he thought, well, regardless of the pain, I want to live. And, of course, not only did he live, he became a, a famous Second World War uh, pilot in the Battle of Britain and so on and so forth, became captured in Germany and so on, survived the war. And Is he still alive? Does anybody know? No, he's not. But um, maybe the message in that sometimes, we don't know that we're drifting off. We think it's all okay. We really need somebody to say, shh. That person is dying. They've lost their vision. Maybe it is hard sometimes to make a fight for your faith in times of difficulty. It's easier to drift away from it. That's what it's talking about here in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more heed, the earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Well, I think it says in some of the marginal references to leak out to run out like a leaking vessel. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense and reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing the witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers or different miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So it's just saying to us, you know what a, what a fantastic gospel we've got. What a wonderful, miraculous gospel that God has given unto us. 
and saying what a fool we would be or, or how very unwise it would be to let this slip and to run away from us. We were saved by miracles. I know I was myself. I wasn't particularly thinking that way, but the moment somebody started talking about God doing something, it really caught my attention. And I hope in our walk in the Lord, it never becomes mundane, that it just becomes a church. We should believe in a God of miracles every part of our our life, every, every day of our life. God, we want God to do things. Maybe when we get up in the morning, we ought to be saying, God, manifest yourself in my life today. I don't want to just be religious for the sake of religious being religious. I want you to perform miracles in my life. Maybe somebody today I might run into. Somebody I might pray for. Lord, look after my family. Lord, look after my children. Protect them at school from accident, from sickness. Every time we say something like that, we're looking for a miracle. Oh, by the way, there's, I talk about miracles we forget. What about the miracles God does for us and we don't even know anything about them? You know, every time something goes wrong in our car, Helen's obviously very spiritual. She always says, there must have been a reason for that. I can't see it, of course, because I'm chatting away and I've taken the wrong turn. I've gone three miles out of my way and I realise I'm supposed to be going in that direction. Oh, you know, I'm going to be late now. She says, oh, there must have been a reason for that. What she's saying is that God guides our path. Maybe even at times that something goes wrong, the Lord's hand's in it. We're going to find out one day when we stand face to face with the Lord of all the secret miracles he's done for us. Times when many of us maybe wouldn't even be here tonight. We would have got killed in an accident or died of this or whatever. The Lord did things for us. We don't even know anything about it. He keeps it a secret. But it's there. So God, it says in verse 4, bearing witness. And anybody that's new here tonight, we believe this can happen in your life. He will bear witness to his truth. What with? Signs, wonders, different miracles, Gifts of the Holy Ghost, which we just read a moment ago. All according to his own will. That's the God of our Bible. Now we're running out of time here. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My testimony is that I was um, a Billy Graham convert. I was uh, swayed by the, um, the words of a great orator. And I was very impressed and I eventually made a decision for Christ and so on and so forth, I became religious. Well, I did on Sundays. I mean, like a lot of religious people, I was a true hypocrite. Very religious on Sundays. The rest of the week, just like anybody else. Maybe worse than a lot of other people. Swearing and carrying on and all that sort of thing. Wasn't very godly. Bad testimony. Not that I even had a testimony. Then somebody talked about a God of miracles. And then when I did get converted, it wasn't just the words of some person however great he was. And that's what the Apostle Paul said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And then he gives a reason for that, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's the sort of salvation and that's the sort of walk in the Lord we want you to have. We don't want you to be swayed by our preaching, or that's mostly highly unlikely, 
um, or anything that we say. We want you to come to the Lord and find a God of miracles, a God who will answer your prayers, a God who will do wonderful things in your life, a God who will give you an insight into his kingdom. He said he wants to be your friend. He said, I don't want to treat you like a slave or a servant. I want you to be my friend. He said, I'm not going to hold out on you and keep certain information from you. I'm going to reveal unto you my plan and my purpose. I want you to know all about me and my kingdom. I want to reveal it to you. This is a friendship, one-on-one. And I want to meet your needs. If it's important to you, the Lord is saying, it's important to me, which is a good arrangement in a marriage, isn't it? I've said that before. If it's important to your partner, then it should be important to you. And in the case of salvation, God says, if it's important to you, then it's important to me. If it's on your mind or it's worrying you, then you tell me about it and we'll sort it out. We'll just finish off in John chapter 14. I haven't really tonight talked about any particular types of miracles, although we did touch on one of the great miracles that Jesus did. Just mainly just want to get you confident that God can do miracles and that he wants to do miracles. Just starting there in verse 8 of the Gospel of John. And Philip saith unto the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Or we will be happy. We will be satisfied. That's the natural man talking. Show us an image. Reveal God to us. And then we'll be happy. And maybe another way of saying it is, then we'll totally believe. Jesus gave him an answer. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known knowing me, Philip, he that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? And the words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. So what he's saying here is that there should be the signs and symbols of God when you're talking to people. It shouldn't just be words. He said, Philip, believe in me. But even went further than that, do I not do the works of my Father? Is there not evidence and proof that God is with me, is what he was saying. If you can't just believe it on words, then see what's happening. And what did Jesus do when he was here? He did all manner of miracles. He walked on the water. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. Amazing things that he did. He healed hundreds of people. He, he fed the multitude with a few. Even the same God, the same Jesus, a God of signs and wonders and miracles. You might have a need tonight. Hopefully, you'll give God a chance to bless you. You don't have to be in the Lord for that to happen, by the way. I'm not saying not to come to the Lord. But God can do a miracle in your life at any point whatsoever. Sometimes he does miracles to us before we get saved and it might even help us to come to the Lord. If you're sick tonight, then ask God to heal you. You might have something else in your life that is worrying you. Then give God a chance to do a miracle. We don't want you to come into a dumb God-type relationship. We want a God that does things for you. And uh, he goes on to say here in verse uh, 12, Truly, truly, I say unto you, 
He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater work than, than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. One of the greater works that we do is that we get people filled with the Holy Ghost with the sign of speaking in other tongues. Jesus never did that. He talked about it, but he never actually did it when he was here on earth. I mean, he's involved in the whole process anyhow. But just the same, we're, we're his representatives here on earth and we're praying for people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in other tongues as it happens. And then he says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you will ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, those promises are all still 100% right and 100% alive. Doesn't, we're not here to have a go at other churches. All we're trying to do is present a God that really does something. And the only reason we mention other churches is that in many of them, they don't believe in these things. I'm not saying all of them, but many of them don't. And it was such a thrill to me to hear people who said, I believe in miracles and I believe God can do a miracle in your life. We just ask you to give God a chance. Don't have any preconceived ideas. Don't get upset. Sometimes we say things that upset people because if you get upset, then you won't listen to the gospel and you'll miss out. Put your own feelings, your own emotions aside. Just accept it on what it says here tonight and give God a chance. The Bible says repent, which means turn away from your old way of life. Get baptized. We have a baptism tank here if you want to get baptized here tonight. And God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. You'll speak in other tongues. That's a miracle. You've got a, ne- a healing need. That's a miracle. You've got any other needs. It's a miracle. You'll enter into the, a wonderful relationship with the God of miracles and all the people said. Amen.